sometimes ABA's downfall is like, you know, broad generalization, you know, sometimes we think we know everything, but we don't, you know, and there are so many different fields that we can learn and benefit from. And to me, it's always fun to like, to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm a complete idiot. What's ABA? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you take that since you're learning what it is. You're, uh, All right. you're, you're That's living. I educate me. Come on, bro. Yeah. You're in the, in the system. Applied behavior analysis. Wow. I feel very fancy. Um, applied behavior analysis is um, a method derived from behaviorism, which is, um, and it's applied into a specific context in order to improve an individual's lives by increasing skills and removing um, skill deficits, decreasing skill deficits, or decreasing problem behaviors. And the way it's done is through environmental change. Usually you change, you, <laughs> yeah, exactly, Said. You can, just by changing your environment, you can make your life <laughs> better. I should get out of the city, bro. That's what I do. Change my yeah. environment. I think that's um, a pretty smooth answer yeah, that was to a it, that I passed the test. Yeah, exactly. I was going to just say the science and study of human behavior, which doesn't mm. really give that much information, but you gave a, a more thorough explanation there. Mm -hmm. Good job, Bobby. You're already, you're already done halfway through. Yeah, exactly. What, what I really want to know, Sasha, what's your driving force? Like, why are you on this journey to um, help people with autism? You know, I think it... It really stems from my experience as a teacher and wanting that was being in that role is so hard. You know, as a, I was a young special ed teacher, you don't really have enough training and everything you have to do. And I loved my students, but I didn't know what to do next and what were those best practices until I, you know, studied ABA, science of human behavior, and then really looked at how can we apply ABA to a public school where, you know, I taught for Chicago public schools, like chronically underfunded, chronically overstaffed. Can this work in this setting? And it, and it absolutely can. And so I'm really passionate about bringing those ABA-based strategies in an easy to understand real world way that teachers, parents, you know, anyone can use these strategies when working with students with autism or really any struggling learners, because we know this can work, you know, with any, any human, it's human behavior when it comes to ABA, not autistic behavior. So that's really mm -hmm. kind of my driving force. I see. And um, from your experience, what are some of the misconceptions people have about autism? Oh, this is a good, this is good timing. I feel like, you know, it's autism acceptance month in April. So I've been doing yeah. a lot of content on that. I think, you know, if you're really not part of the field at all, a lot of people think when they hear autism, they think like Rain Man. They think, mm -hmm. oh, like, what's what's your super skill? What's, you know, that savant? <laughs> and, you know, having that savant type skill is actually pretty uncommon. Um, so I think that's a big misconception that it's like a Rain Man situation. And then I think within, you know, there's a big misconception within schools, too, because, you know, think of how many people work in a school a lot of adults. And there's very few adults that are probably interacting with kids with autism on a daily basis. Yes, we have like our teachers, our clinicians, our paras, but then there's like the rest of the school staff. And I think there's big misconceptions there on what potential kids with autism have, what educational, you know, expectations there can be. And if you see, you know, it's, it's kind of human nature to remember the bad things over the good things, right? Like you could get like one like negative comment made about you and a hundred compliments and you'll remember the <laughs> negative 
right? Mm-hmm. And I think that happens in our schools a lot. You know, our, our kids, you know, are they, they're in special ed services for a reason. If they, you know, have a meltdown at the playground, people remember that like for years and that sticks in their head of like what their perception of autism is. Mm-hmm. So I think that can create some misconceptions too. I see. So I have a question based on the, on the point about the focusing on one negative comment. Mm-hmm. I've heard of constantly heard that before and there's yeah there's constant there's a lot of info about it but i want to hear your opinion about why do we just you know tunnel vision on just one one comment when you're just concentrating <laughs> oh, that's a good question like you get supported and I mean, I'd love, I'd love to know why, because I don't like, I don't like that quality in myself. And I'd like to do that. Um, you know, I, I think, I think we're all hard on ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, and if you get a negative comment or you remember, you, you stick on that negative thing, it like maybe sometimes touches something in you that like maybe part of you believes that if someone, you know, what I, I do trainings for a lot of my job, I do virtual and in-person trainings. And one of my sensory behaviors is I play with my hair a lot. Like I know mm-hmm. I do that. And sometimes in feedback after a session, people will say, you play with your hair too much. And I'm like, really? Chill. But I'm always like, (laughs) that person. But I like know that's true, you know? So whether negative comments are true or not, sometimes they even touch on something that like we, a negative kind of, you know, thought we have about ourselves. I mean, but I don't really know. I'd like to know why. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I think. You don't uh, like being exposed. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. I think it's something to do with us as human beings being driven by fear a little bit by having that maybe that um um biological instinct towards fear that we're so you see one thing that you're scared of and that'll you'll remember that but you see a hundred things that you like it doesn't really phase you that much yeah and yeah when the autism situation yeah you can have a person who's amazing and then they just have one aggressive behavior or something yeah. and that really taints everyone's perspective towards them yeah right it's such a tricky thing because you know people with autism individuals um they're they uh they're different they're just different i don't see it as a positive or a negative i just see them as different mm-hmm. and what do you think it's like um uh is like a success story for someone with autism like, well, from your experience, like, uh, um, because I don't expect someone with autism to be just like, um, neurodevelopmentally um, typical, right? I just, you know, mm-hmm. no matter how much <laughs> they go through, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's kind of been a big shift in the field in the last few years. You know, there was a big movement two years ago, especially around April with Autism mm-hmm. Acceptance Month. You know, it's shifted from awareness to acceptance. And a lot of autistic individuals on social media have really voiced their opinion on mm-hmm. on things like social skill goals. Like, why do we have to make eye contact? If that physically <laughs> is uncomfortable for me, why is that something I have to do? Um, and I think that has really shifted, is starting to shift a, a lot of like the field of education and psychology and like really looking at like, what are our goals and how how can our goals be client affirming? And those are things that we as behavior analysts have in our ethical guidelines to put you know, our clients unique needs first and make sure we're selecting goals that are that are in line with what they want. Like, Mm. do they want to know how to do a puzzle? If they don't want to know how to do a puzzle, who cares? Why are we doing a puzzle goal? Like, so I I think, you know, a success story for any individual with autism is is kind of being your unique self and being happy 
but also having skills that are functional and will get you access to what you want. I think that's like all what our skill instruction should be based on is like, hey, what are what are your values and what are your goals and what skills can we get give you and teach you to get you there? Like if your goal is to be able to have a job, great. Let's think of what skills you're going to need to, you know, have concepts of money and keeping your hands to yourself and identifying a bus route. Like there's are skills you're going to have to do to transport yourself to your job. So um, I think I think that in a broad way can be, you know, our goal for our learners is are they happy and are their goals in line with what they value, which I think is like our goals for every adult, right? Like that's what mm-hmm. we all want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are like the top three requirements for a lesson to qualify as something that would be able to teach someone like a skill that they need, you know, like especially for neurodivergent people? Can you ask that in a different way? I'm just trying to think of the right way to answer. Um, yeah, okay. So like if you want to create a certain activity or, or teaching method and apply it on someone who's neurodivergent, what are like the three requirements that would qualify it as something that would work on them? I mean, the really only requirement is reinforcement. Like reinforcement okay. is how all all of us learn and increase behaviors and reinforcement is kind of a tricky word because it's used like you know colloquially a little bit different than it is in the aba world but it you know according to applied behavior analysis reinforcement is anything that comes after a behavior that increases the likelihood of that behavior happening in the future so when i teach this to teachers and and clinicians a lot you know when when a child comes into the classroom and does everything perfect, he puts he submits his homework, he sits down, he does everything he's supposed to do, and it's like perfection, amazing. That whole sequence is done, right? It's over. How you interact with that student, because you're part of that student's environment, impacts the likelihood of them doing it tomorrow. And the same things are true in our own life. Like if I wake up in the morning and my husband has like done the dishes, cleaned the kitchen, and made me coffee, like that's done. It's over. How I give reinforcement impacts if that's happening tomorrow. Like if I go downstairs, I'm like, well, you didn't even take out the garbage. Thanks a lot. Like that's going to punish his behavior versus reinforce his behavior. So the likelihood of him doing that all tomorrow is probably going to go down versus let's say praise is a reinforcer for him, which it's not. But if praise were a reinforcer for him and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Thank you so much. That's so great. Thank (laughs) you. That would increase the likelihood of him doing that the next day. So that really is like how all of our behaviors work. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of the first thing to think about in any like skill acquisition lesson is like, how are we delivering reinforcement, which sounds super simple, but it gets complicated really quick because reinforcement's different for every person. How we deliver reinforcement really impacts if it works or not. So as a behavior analyst, like how, how annoying it is that you're aware of every decision you make or every interaction you make with a person. <laughs> you're nice. just like, oh my God, if I say this, it's going to be like, you want to know what? <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it's kind of it's not really like that on a day-to-day basis. It's it, it really hit me the most when I had my own kids because I was a behavior analyst first and then I had kids. And, you know, like when you're, especially when you're, when you're young in any field, whether it's like, in an education field, or I would assume in any like business oriented field, you know, you're kind of like cocky. You're like, Oh, look at me. I like know all these new things. Great. (laughs) So like as a young behavior analyst, it was like, Oh God, I know the right ways to do this. I know the right ways to do this. It's awesome. And man, it is like super humbling when you have your own kids and you're like, Oh God. Oh no. Like I can't do any of this. And you, and I know why I'm like, 
the competing contingencies are too much. Like, yes, mm. I know right now. I mean, I had, I reinforced so much negative behavior this morning with my own kids because the competing contingencies were, I have to be on a call at 830. Mm. So I'm going to reinforce your whining. About that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> like, right. But like, you know, my oldest daughter just had spring break. She has like a bad case of the Mondays. And I'm like, Hey, if you stop crying, I'm going to give you, you know, your favorite treat at breakfast. She didn't mm-hmm. stop crying. She still got her favorite treat at breakfast. But like behaviorally, I know that's wrong, but I'm also like, you know what? We got to get this show on the road. So, mm-hmm. you know, you always know, like in the back of your head that you're like, I always know like, oh, this is, this is going to reinforce this negative behavior, but like, oh, well, or like, I'm big on teaching like the difference between bribery and reinforcement because those words are used incorrectly quite a bit. And I, I like out loud will sometimes say like, I'm using a bribe. Why am I doing this? Cause like, I know I'm doing it the wrong way, but. Wrong oh, way. wow. Yeah. That must teach you something about like relating to parents too, right? Of yes. the people you work with a lot. For more sure. Cause you know, we get kind of like judgmental sometimes like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, you didn't do this at home. And then it's like, Oh God, like I, I'm not a special needs parent. I can't imagine what that's like. So yeah, it's really changed how like empathetic or non-judgmental I need to be. Mm-hmm. So all behavior analysts like uh, gossiping about your patients behind their back. Is that, is that what happens? <laughs> you know, no, there's a- not allowed. Are you exposing no, them? Is, I knew it. I knew it. They were always talking about us. <laughs> I mean, because uh, the goal, you know, mo- a lot of behavior analysts work. I would say a majority with you know with kids with autism and a majority their work in a clinic or in-home setting, just like that's where the jobs are. So when you're working in a clinic or in-home setting, a lot of what you're doing is like parent training. Like you want to like have all these strategies, not just in your session throughout the whole day, but like, you know, it's easy when you have a nice session and you have a therapist there, their whole job is just interacting with this child. When you're a parent, you're like, I have to make dinner. I have other kids to take care of. I have to work. I have to like go to the bathroom or sleep sometimes. Like it's all different when you're trying to implement tricky strategies. So I think good clinicians know that and identify that like, Hey, your whole attention isn't going to be on this procedure I gave you to do at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to hear you go a bit more about reinforcement and the power of um, reinforcement. How, how have you seen it either work with a parent or work with a kid or an individual? Um, I want to hear like a success story or, something maybe different that (laughs) or unconventional that maybe worked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I think like when the biggest kind of challenge with reinforcement is that reinforcers are different for everyone. And I think that's Mm -hmm. where like to generalize a lot of like old school teachers get stuck that are just like very stuck in their ways of like, because in school, the traditional reinforcers are like teacher approval and grades and -hmm. praise really. For a lot of kids, I mean, kids without diagnoses, kids in gen ed classrooms, those are not reinforcers. Like there are kids (laughs) that are just like, I do not care about grades. I don't like this teacher. I don't care if they like me. And I don't care about your praise because also we don't care about praise from someone we don't really like. Like if you don't like or respect Mm. someone, you don't really care to receive their praise, right? That's why Mm -hmm. rapport is so important. Um, So if you, if if you're, if that's the whole structure of like our behavior management systems is like trying to get something you don't want. Like, of course, our kids that are struggling already are not engaging in positive behavior. So it's really, I think, on honing in on the unique reinforcers of our learners. And I think for our learners with autism, sometimes those can be like very unique. Um, One funny story I share a lot. I had, when I was in the classroom, I had a student who's like most high powered reinforcer, one of his like 
favorite, his unique interests. You know, a lot of individuals with autism have unique interests, which again, no judgment. I have unique interests too. So does everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of his like favorite things was Maury Povich. <laughs> you know, Maury mm-hmm. Povich, the like mm-hmm. reality, you know, you are not the father. So this was his like favorite <laughs> show. And his, the most high powered reinforcer for him was playing Maury Povich with me and he was going to be Maury and I would mm. be the contestant on the show and he would give me the paternity test results. <laughs> and then I had to like have the explosive reaction because that's what happens on Maury. Like no one, you know, receives paternity tests calmly. And oh my gosh, I did this like all the time. Like you want to play Maury? Cool. Let's play Maury. And like, I was excellent. I was great. I like totally got into it and I looked ridiculous. I did not care. This kid made so much progress that year that his IEP, which like plans all his goals, we had to redo it in the middle of the year because he had surpassed all his goals and we like didn't have anything to work on yet. So we had to break new goals. So, I mean, he gained like six reading levels in one year because he was so like wildly reinforced by playing Maury Povich. Like, and so it's really about like leaning in to those interests with with our students. And I think sometimes we're shying away from those because we're like, oh, he talks about Maury too much. And like, yes, we want to teach like other conversation topics. We want to teach social cues because that's a big part of relationships. Like if you talk about the same thing all the time, people get annoyed with you, right? Like that happens. We all have that friend. So yeah, teaching social cues on how to not do that, how to like ask other people's interests. But like, if you're really into Maury, cool, be really into Maury, like do you. So I think like kind of anyone that's like how we you know, develop friendships too. It's like, what, what are you interested in? Let's talk about that. So mm-hmm. that was a fun yeah. one. And did you end up winning the child support or, or it didn't go? Your <laughs> and it was only different. I never knew, I never knew about your father and dad. He made like a file folder that had like the DNA testing logo that was the same as Maury's oh. company. Like, okay. yeah. No way. The guy puts an effort to be honest. <laughs> yeah, like loved it. So. I was like, you mm-hmm. know what? We're, we're just gonna go with this. Yeah, we're we're all weird, is what I'm learning in our own ways, and we all yeah. have things oh, that yeah. make us unique. And the, uh, the things with friends is that I feel like friends are people that maybe share something unique and weird together. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, those are the people I've bonded with. <laughs> like, uh... <laughs> thank God. <laughs> <laughs> And I feel like that's why like the internet is going to be really great. And we have to do better Mm. at this for our like autistic teenagers and adults on like connecting with other people that have those unique interests because it's no Mm -hmm. longer like, hey, who in in my community is also into this topic? Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, who else in the world is also interested in this topic? So we can really, you know, if we can do better, like creating like social skill groups or ways to connect in a safe way to connect, especially our like teenagers in school with like, other kids that have unique interests in something that would be awesome for them. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be the curious five-year-old here and ask like, what are like, what is as a, like maybe three symptoms you should, like if you are sure you have them, then you should probably get tested for autism. You know, it's kind of interesting because a lot of adults now are getting, doing the process to get diagnosed with autism. I actually had a mom on my podcast last week who has two kids with autism and after her kids got diagnosed, she went and got a diagnosis for herself because she like learning about this. I was Mm -hmm. like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, in the DSM-5, the diagnostic criteria and uh, (laughs) refresh my memory, and I'm going to do this off the top of my head, but it's it's stereotypic behaviors. So repetitive and stereotypic behaviors, um, a lack of some type of struggle with communication and social skills. And what is my third one? 
Those are the two big ones. And that has to be within the last six months for more than six months. And that has to really impact your like daily functioning. So because of this lack of communication and social skills or these like repetitive stereotypic behaviors, this is negatively impacting how you can function on a day-to-day basis. So that's kind of the diagnostic criteria. I think as far as the adult, you know, a lot of adults are like self-diagnosing now too. Mm-hmm. Um, and like to each their own, whatever you want to do. But I always kind of say like, well, what? And even with kids too, what will the diagnosis get you? With kids, a diagnosis get you, gets you services, right? It gets you therapy. It gets you in the right classrooms. As an adult, if you think that will get you um, either more knowledge about yourself, so knowing like how to self-advocate, how to ask for appropriate accommodations better. If you think this will get you, you know, better services or therapies, then great. Um, so that's always why I, whenever anyone's seeking a diagnosis, you always want to think about like, what, what will the diagnosis get me basically? Okay. Ali, is this why you wanted me to ask this question? Oh no. <laughs> that's so funny. I'm okay, fine. I'm going to get tested. <laughs> hey, Jesus. I, you're awesome. How about that for positive yeah. reinforcement? Yeah, exactly. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, jump into it. Autism Awareness Month. What's your reaction to uh, Love on the Spectrum? Love on the Spectrum? Love it. Yeah. The Netflix mm-hmm. show, you mean? Yeah, yes. the Netflix show. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, Carrie, Carrie, Magro, <laughs> who, um, Carrie Magro, who is um, an autistic adult TEDx speaker. I don't know if you know him. He was nonverbal till the age of four. Now he's a professional motivational speaker. He's mm-hmm. awesome. He's been on our podcast before. He was um, a consultant on the last show, which I love that they're you know hiring autistic adults to consult on the show. I think the more ways that we can like genuinely show autistic individuals struggling with the same things that we all struggle dating, right? The better. It's not like a caricature <laughs> of of autism. And I think that's where there's been a lot of pushback in the last mm. few years. You know, um, Sia got like annihilated about that movie she did, um, mm. rightly so. And because it was it was kind of a caricature of autism. Mm. And I and I understood what she was trying to do, tell this like very like hard and heartwarming story of kind of this, the challenge of raising, you know, a child with extreme needs, but, you know, she had a lot of major missteps because she didn't consult autistic individuals. They used, you know, a neurotypical actor who was then like, it felt like a parody in a weird way. So, um, yeah, I think the more ways we can show autistic individuals, you know, in a genuine way, the better that's going to, you know, when we think about acceptance and awareness, that's going to do it right there. People love Netflix. They're going to watch it all the time, you know? <laughs> and people love dating shows too. So yeah. People love dating it. shows. Yeah. It's a perfect combination. Yeah. 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 Crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's very fun. It's, um, it is just a, a narrow range though of what autism is, right? It's more yeah. high functioning autism you know, people. Mm-hmm. That's, and I think that's a little bit, you know, I've, I've tried to like be mindful, especially in the last few years when this like big movement of autistic individuals came out, like, yes, I want to learn from these adults, but I also want to keep in the back of my head is like, most of the kids that I've worked with are kind of on the other end of the spectrum. So, you know, when we're thinking about kids that have limited verbal skills that have extreme aggression that, you know, are, are, are struggling to be toilet trained, that's very different than an adult that can write and create a blog and their needs are going to be different. And, you know, a lot of autistic individuals have gotten really upset about like parents creating blogs or social media things about talking about the struggles of parenting a kid with autism. And, 
And I think, you know, there's two sides to that. Like as a parent, you know, of a kid with special needs, the ability to connect with other parents of kids with special needs, I think is so needed. I can't imagine parenting a child that is 16 and not toilet trained, parenting a child that is physically aggressive to you. Um, You know, the ability to share that hardship, I think, is part of real life. And that that is part of the spectrum of autism is that there are individuals um, that have those challenges. So, you know, there's kind of two sides to it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone's so unique, too. And yeah, in the autism world. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in general, everyone's so unique. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like what you said about each person should try to find the thing they love to do and try to find ways to do the things they love to do and have their own life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever think it puts you in a bit of a bubble though? If you're um, like, as you said, like if you go to an online world and try to find like a small niche and just live within that niche. Um, For sure. You yeah. know, and, and like, you know, I think acceptance commitment therapy is mm-hmm. a kind of has a lot of ABA components, but acceptance commitment therapy looks at a lot of like value driven behavior. And I, and I think that's mm-hmm. been really helpful in the ABA world at like, what what are our values and what are our goals and then what skills can we like and then kind of planning backwards because I think that can get you out of that bubble too it's like well my goal is I want to live alone if you want to live mm-hmm. alone you need to make a paycheck if you want to make a paycheck you need to have a job if you want to have a job you're going to have to leave your house if you want to leave your house you're going to have to not take public transit and talk to people like have small talk so like then you can be like okay I'm I'm, I'm not good at small talk but now I can identify the link between like, hey, learning how to engage in appropriate small talk will get me to my goal of living by myself. So right. I think if we can make more of those connections for like everyone, like how is this in line with my values and my goals? So how do we improve on small talk? Because I feel like a lot of, I feel like, I don't know. Okay, maybe I'm generalizing, but yeah, I definitely struggle with small talk. So how do people become better at small talk? Because that shit is boring as fuck. I know, like, it yeah, is. I mean, terrible. It is. I think so. I mean, it is. Bro, it's not a skill I want to know, to be honest. It's just like, can we just like, yeah. you know, ask proper questions? But you yeah, have and to, I think to get like, what you want sometimes, you need to be able to do small talk. Yeah. You know? And like <laughs> listening and like what be, what questions are like appropriate for small talk and not like, you know, you came on this morning and you're like, how's your morning going? You weren't like, hey, how much money do you make? Or like, hey, like, <laughs> what, was the, you know, what was the worst thing that happened to you last weekend? Like, I just met you, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I feel like yeah. that, you know, skill instruction can be helpful for some individuals because there are individuals, I'm sure that we've all met that like come in quick, like, hey, have you ever mm-hmm. thought that? Like, whoa, whoa, I just met you. So, you know, that can make small talk more socially acceptable and make people feel less uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know you like deep talks but you need to warm up to it yeah i like what sasha was saying about like you don't want to come yeah. off too strong you don't want to ever yeah. come off too strong yeah. in any situation yeah exactly yeah. you gotta maybe mm-hmm. over time yeah exactly that's why rap- rapport is so yeah. huge yeah maybe uh you could describe what rapport is to a general audience and why it's a good idea to build it with maybe yeah, rap- students rapport, or, is, rapport yeah. is kind of your like trust and kind of liking someone in like a really general way is like, do you like someone? Do you have a relationship with someone? I tell teachers a lot, like your goal in your classroom, I use this like silly phrase because it sticks in their head is like, your goal is to be the chocolate chip cookie. 
Like if you can make <laughs> yourself and your classroom a chocolate chip cookie, you're good. Like who doesn't like a chocolate chip cookie? Like I would eat a chocolate chip cookie every day. And if you can make yourself like as the teacher and your classroom as the environment be like a chocolate chip cookie, your kids are going to want to be there. They're going to want to receive your praise. They're not going to want to receive your negative feedback. You know, if someone that you like and respect tells you something negative, like that hits because you're like, oh, dang, I like you, you know, and 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 but on the reverse, more importantly, is that praise is really meaningful. Um, so that's kind of like your I feel like that's, you know, teacher's goal, but that's kind of your goal with like, I don't know, with life. You want to like establish yourself as a chocolate chip cookie. Be if you can be someone that people like and want to talk with and be around, you know, better things are going to happen. I'm looking like I'm looking to be the chocolate chip cookie so the cookie monster. Can I know, right? Doesn't a chocolate <laughs> That's a fun metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, let's just jump right into it. Uh, technology and autism. <laughs> um, I'm uh one of the um, the um, stereotypes maybe is that people with autism love their iPads a bit too much. Mm-hmm. Is that maybe <laughs> Can you maybe dispel well, that? Yeah, dispel yeah, that as a um, myth or not myth. I mean, I think everyone loves their iPads too much. I mean, <laughs> yes. I think it's like chicken or the egg a little, and this is like not mm-hmm. my area of expertise at all. And again, mm-hmm. I'm not a special needs parent, but I think there's like a lot of contingencies that are set up where, you know, if I let my neurotypical kids be on their iPads all day, they would. Like they would. So, and I think a lot of parents struggle when their kids don't have like a lot of recreation leisure skills. Like they don't like to play Barbies. They don't like Legos. They're not into other things. And they're struggling to be safe and independent. I mean, for that parent, yeah, you're going to overuse the iPad because like you have to make dinner and like work and, you know, you have to take your kid on errands. So you're going to give them the iPad, give the iPad. I mean, I see this, I see like, you know, personally friends I have that have neurotypical kids that do this too much. I went out to a dinner a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, and it was like a family party at a restaurant. I didn't bring iPads for my kids. My kids only get iPads on like airplanes, <laughs> basically. Um, my kid, my oldest two are seven and five. And there were a bunch of kids there that didn't know each other. And it was a little sad that later I thought like my kids were bored. I brought them coloring stuff, but they didn't really play with the other kids because a lot of the other parents brought iPads. Mm. So a lot of the other kids just sat on their iPads. And it was like, I was like, what a shame because I knew my daughter had things in common with some of the other kids there. She just didn't even have a chance to play with them because they were on their screens. And I was like, that's kind of a bummer. Like, you know, yeah. that we're here. And I get it. Those parents were like, oh, I brought my iPad because I want to have a good time. And I'm like, I know, but like we could, you could have not, and you still could have had a good time too. So I think it's a crutch that every parent uses. Um, And I think when you have like less in maybe less interest or less independent skills, maybe that crutch is used more often, you know, that's kind of a broad answer. What what is it about the iPad that's so reinforcing? Do you think that it, it destroys everything? It's more people are, they want it more than everything, more than actual. For me, I imagine I want to play with a person that's way more reinforcing than, that's what we did as a kid. We had the yeah. option to play PlayStation, but yeah. <laughs> you know, we would also well, just hang out, you know, anything like on the yeah. iPad. Like, I mean, when I, like I, you know, when I go on, vac- when I go on an airplane, I, I'm, I'm downloading shows on like multiple apps. I'm like, why mm-hmm. do I need seven hours of TV for my 90 minute flight? But I'm like, oh, what options? Like, you know, there's just unlimited things. Like when you have YouTube and you have the internet and you have Netflix and Disney plus, I mean, you could just watch anything you want as much 
as you want on repeat. So, mm -hmm. and also I think if you think about it too, like one of the diagnostic criteria that we had said earlier was a challenge with communication and social skills. So interacting, playing with friends, that that's like, a, that's hard. That's effortful. That could be a demand. <laughs> so like, if yeah. we're like, oh, go relax, play with friends. It's like, oh, that's a lot of, that's work to me. So, you know, thinking about in that way too, that like socializing could be really challenging for some kids. Mm. Mm -hmm. I see. But for us, it's the rewards greater than the punishment, right? Like the overall experience of it. Like you got to do something hard, right? Just like working out or, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. You have to yeah. do something. Yeah. Um, why do we do things that are hard then? If it's, if it's not like um, super easy for us. I know this is, we're getting into more philosophical. Kind of going yeah. back to that like, idea of mm -hmm. act. Like it's in line with our, with our values and our goals. Mm. Like, I mean, working out's a really good example. Like I'm not someone that like during a workout enjoys working out mm -hmm. and, but it's like in line with my goals of being healthy. Right. So mm -hmm. you do it. And like, I, I always have to remind myself like of the short term, like, and this is how I've been more consistent, even working out in the last years is like the short term reinforcer. Cause like losing weight, being healthy is like this kind of arbitrary thing or the long term thing. But like, Personally, if I wake up early and work out, I'm a better, like, I'm a better leader. I'm a better parent. I'm a better wife during the day. So I always like at 530 when my alarm goes off has to remind myself like, hey, the short term reinforcer is going to come when you're done with your workout because you're going to feel better. <laughs> but yeah, it's because it's in line with what something we want. Mm -hmm. I see. All right. Um, if you don't mind saying, I'm going to get into, we're past the small talk. I'm going to ask one of the harder questions right now. <laughs> oh, what okay, if so I will not understand so, basically? So, <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but what if we can get iPads to be good? What if we can get iPads to be reinforcing, but in a good way? Um, so let's say um, with the advent of artificial intelligence and stuff like that, and um, where there are games and there are softwares that can make you smarter, that if you play these memory games enough times, you're going to strengthen your memory or if you sort the alphabet enough times in a game fashion you might learn it faster than you would with a person um i'm actually are, using what? one myself right now i'm i, I use duolingo i use duolingo um you know no, no, no. There's, Spanish, another yeah. <laughs> there's another one it's called yeah. uh, elevate and you can mm -hmm. pay it's it can be membership or it's also free uh where they literally give you games on how to do division how to improve your grammar and like you're most probably playing just you're pressing like two options you have valid or error they give you a sentence one of the words is highlighted and is it correctly written or not you play these and then they give you a score so you can chart your progress and to be honest for me this is this is better than the education system i'm finding it much <laughs> more useful i'm like i'm actually seeing my score also going up and i'm uh, performing better becoming reinforcement. quicker reinforcement you're seeing your score going up yeah exactly and <laughs> definitely if the ai once one day takes over this and makes it even better i'll be like I'll, i'm gonna be the next einstein at this point, <laughs> you know so uh, that's that's what my personal experience mm -hmm. i think all those games and activity i mean there's a lot of great tools right now online that can teach things as we said so i think that's all great i mean and if if a learner learns better through technology lean into that but it has to be balanced with then Teach, teaching social skills too and social skills that again like are values driven because i mean we're look at i mean we're engaged in a social interaction right now in this moment like most parts of our day 
are embedded with social skills, like how you, you know, interact with your coworkers, a boss, how you like get a Starbucks coffee when they call your name. Like you can't like grab your coffee when they call your name and be like, F you and walk away. Like you say, thank you. Like, you know, there's like mm. norms on how we're, where we stand and how we wait and how we order. Like all of that has to be, if you lived only online, you wouldn't learn those things that are equally as important too. So it's tricky. It's about balance or what is it? I think but so. it's about values. Yeah, exactly. I think both. Yeah. <laughs> teaching, teaching, and you're, you're already trying to say is, wait, no, that's not what I meant. Uh, yeah. Wait, uh, is it, does it mean like teaching values to people who are neurodivergent helps them focus a bit more on like their decisions? I mean, I think we all do. I mean, like cognitive behavior therapy is like one of the more popular types of therapy that like neurotypical people do on a regular basis. And that's what that teaches you is like, hey, you know, like when when you're arguing with your spouse or your, you know, coworker, your family member, is that in line with your values of having a good marriage, being a good coworker or whatever? And like, it's teaching you that too. Because we, you know, we, we engage in things sometimes that give us a short-term reinforcer of like attention or whatever, but like, it's not in line with our values or getting us to our long-term goals. So I think that's what like act and cognitive behavior therapy tell you. And I think we can use that in, in really any setting. Okay. And what's, what's different in the approach to between neurotypical people and neurodivergent people on educate them, educating them on the concept of like what a value is and how to like properly, you know, follow those values. Yeah, I think it'll come down to like communication methods. Like, you know, there's a lot of, of how, how can you explain that in a way that's like accessible and understandable to that individual? You know, if you had an individual with limited verbal skills or really low receptive language, obviously like explaining it like we are now is not going to be accessible. So I think it would come down to like how you're communicating that, how you're giving them ways to like respond um, would be, uh, yeah, how you kind of differentiate that. So would you say that maybe communication is the, the biggest issue when that uh, neurodivergent people face? In like a really broad way, yeah. I mean, because it, it's also like one of the main diagnostic criteria of autism. So you know if like a, an individual has that diagnosis that there is going to be some deficit with communication. And we know communication is based in everything we do. Um, I have a course and I do a lot of training on literacy instruction. And like it's all rooted in communication because written words, you know, reading is, is written communication. So, mm. you know, literacy is at the root of everything we do. Communication is at the root of everything we do. So if you right. have a, a struggle mm -hmm. with that and you have that diagnosis, yeah, it's going to kind of impact everything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Communication is so important, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. Um, when things are hard, how do you stay positive? Um, when parents are struggling and it's stressful and they're really, um, you know, they feel like there's little hope, right? Yeah. Um, what makes you, and you've probably seen a lot of varying success stories. Um, how do you stay positive? I mean, I think personally, like I 
I try to really like find and celebrate and help like teachers or parents do the same thing, but like the baby steps. And I think sometimes progress is really slow, you know, and, and especially maybe with, with, with kids that have really challenging behaviors. Um, in my experience with kids that are a little bit older, like I, when I was a teacher, I always taught junior high, sixth through eighth grade. And, you know, at that point, kids have a really long learning history. They've been engaging in these behaviors that have been working for them for 10 years. You know, you can't come in and be like, Hey, I'm going to change this tomorrow. So, (laughs) You know, progress can be slow, um, but it's about those baby steps and those like small, seemingly unimportant, but like once they kind of come together, you're going to see that progress. So I think it's about like identifying those small pieces of progress that you have and like celebrating that, not focusing on like how much left you have to do, but like celebrating that. I see. So finding the successes that you already have and looking at those as accomplishments and I guess not comparing yourself to other people too is in line with that, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> we get too caught up with that, with comparing ourselves to other people. And it's everyone's so different and everyone's circumstances are so different. And also nothing is what it seems too. Like you can yeah. see something on the surface and not know um, what it's like. Yeah, deep down. Um, I don't know. <laughs> How's how's being a parent for you changed um, the role of being um, in the behavior analyst? Yeah, I think a lot. Kind of what you said, I think definitely changed. Not that I was judgmental before, but I think I can kind of balance my expectations in a lot more of a realistic way. And again, I'm still not a special needs parent, so I really don't understand. And I always say that, like, I'm never going to tell a parent, like, oh, I understand because I don't. I don't. Mm. Um, but being able to like better identify what are competing contingencies with with following protocols that like, hey, like this is not this is not going to happen and this is going to be too challenging because of X, Y and Z. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really helped because I see how hard it is for me with, you know, neurotypical kids that parenting is super hard. So I think that's that's really changed um, my kind of like clinical work in that way and, and when, when when working with parents. I okay. see. Oh wow. Um, so, so I have. I want to try this uh, different game that uh, <laughs> I want Sasha to prepare a bit for. So, okay. So me and Ali here are, you know, obviously weird as fuck, and we're doing this podcast, and now, and we usually ask the questions, but we have a behavioral analyst on the show, too. so I know that you are capable of asking great questions, but we don't have much time. So, I, are you capable of asking us three? important questions but like you know just have like rapid answers to about <laughs> i don't know actually what they can be maybe one of them can be is like you know the question you could ask about to understand why we're weird or something like that does that work <laughs> does that work yeah thumbs up all right yes thumbs like, up <laughs> all right all right so you're gonna yes no questions are like open-ended Oof. I just read that open-ended might be a bit difficult, so maybe just like yes, no is enough. Yeah, yes, no, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about okay? First one. Or we'll leave the first... last one as an open-ended. The last one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> variety, variety. You know, it's okay, like yeah, what is this? <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if I'm gonna go in the right direction with this. Um, 
Okay, let's kind of stick because we've kind of had this theme of like reinforcement, like values driven, you know, goals. So let's kind of stick in this theme. So, okay, first yes, no question. Is praise a reinforcer for you? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I'll do a thumbs up <laughs> to that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like Wait, compliments. Perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like compliments. The praise is like, well, you know what? I don't know if you've ever read or heard of that book, like The Love Languages. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's all about reinforcement. Like, because some people true. like like my love language, whatever, is definitely like words of affirmation. I'm like, yes, mm. tell me I'm great. My husband's the opposite. He doesn't, if you tell him he's great, he's like, okay, whatever. Like, he doesn't care. But that's because that's mm-hmm. not like his reinforcer. That's not his love. Like, that's all based on reinforcement. Yeah. Um, okay, second one. Um, my, I just wanted to add to that point. Like, my praise is touch. If someone says, says a compliment to me, I'll just be like, um, "Thank you." Thank yeah. You. It's like it's like you know when someone's singing "Happy Birthday" to you and you're just standing yes. there awkwardly. That's how I feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um. <laughs> all right. Yes. No. Do you think that most of the activities or things that you do are in line with your values or goals. I'll go with in-between. I'll go with an in-between. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm far from the ideal. Yeah. I'm, I'm like above in-between, like semi, yes, I guess. That's Is good. That like, That's good. Yeah, <laughs> That's so funny. Um, what about you, Enough Sasha? for the open-ender, bro. <laughs> what's your answer to that question, too? Yeah, yeah exactly. I would say, yeah, like, definitely not all, but I would say most. I feel like mm-hmm. 75 is, like, a yes, then. We're saying yes. I would say, like, yes. a healthy, a healthy 75 to 85%, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, now an open-ended question. Am I, am I asking questions along the lines of what you meant? Yeah, yeah, they're working. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Um, oh All right, so well, yeah, how about this? Follow-up question to the last one. What's something that you do on a regular basis that's not in line with your goals or values? Oof. Um, kind of personal. See, this is like why we need, why we need to <laughs> Why this was appropriate at 48 minutes, not minute two. <laughs> We've been building up to this just so that I can fucking say <laughs> um, maybe using too many dating apps at the same time. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, oh no. <laughs> mm-hmm. really outing, you're really outing yourself here. That was painful. That was very painful. Excruciating. Yeah. I'm For just me, gonna, yeah. It's gonna. Yeah. It's all the time. Oh my gosh, we lost sight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, all right. Yeah. For me, for me, it's all about um. I just hate wasting time, and I waste too much time. And just whether it's on my phone, just sitting on my phone on Instagram for whatever, <laughs> or yes. just being on YouTube, wasting time. Yeah, so we're looking at my time waste and I got too much stuff to do and it's all being wasted. And so for me, it's like, like that too. for me, <laughs> for me, it's like I get up in the morning and I'll be honest, I don't always want to get out of bed. Bed's really comfy. Mm-hmm. And I know that I have stuff to do, but I'll guess what? I'll hit the snooze button and I do it way too often. Okay. 
<laughs> I gotta find I gotta find a better system to waking up than just the my phone snooze button because it doesn't work, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the thing I found is that over time, the more like I tackle it one thing at a time. It's literally it's all about the things that have made me have good habits is not necessarily like erasing my bad habits, but replacing them mm-hmm. with something else instead, you know, instead of um yeah just like wasting time in the evening you know for example i'm like okay how about i do an activity like a sports activity in the evening and i've been doing that more consistently and instead of focusing on reducing wasted time i'm focusing on um doing something new and fun yeah exactly so that's really been something that's been helping me um with that wow that was pretty deep sasha (laughs) <laughs> yes yeah oh my god all right <laughs> well i'm out of questions yes i ready to sign out thanks sasha so much for your time here today i love your podcast let me say my favorite episode of your podcast has to be the one that you described with um the gentleman who works on um love on the spectrum who grew up with autism and has um or he he does have autism and he was nonverbal and he grew out of it and now he's working on the show and he's yeah, Carrie Magro, yeah. Yes, yeah. that was a beautiful, successful uh story. And I love hearing those kinds of stories. Uh, I love your podcast. I love just le- learning about all the different niches and all the different it's um a storage of information, really. It's kinda it's cool that you've been doing it for so long. <laughs> And awesome. you've you. built up such a repertoire for it. Yeah, exactly. But this one's my new favorite episode of <laughs> with you <laughs> in it. Yeah, exactly. We got a lot of jokes in here. All right, Said. That's been great. Guys, this so has much. been A to the show with Sasha Long. <laughs> the educator, educating us about uh, neurodivergencies and basically telling us that we might be autistic. Uh, stay tuned yeah, to find no. out. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's, 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 but stay tuned. I'm gonna get tested, and we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out soon. <laughs> Thank you.